Hi everyone. This week I got the pleasure to speak with Gail Fuller, who's a farmer out in Kansas. Um, we were able to connect about regenerative farming, his past as a traditional modern farmer, um, his efforts to revitalize his community, farmers, the body, the mind. He runs these innovative workshops where he connects farmers, ranchers, researchers, community people to try to share ideas and innovate around building uh, a holistic farm and educational community. Um, I hope you enjoy and thank you. Nice, nice. It, it's it's iffy, but like usual. Wonderful, Gail. Uh, well, I really appreciate your time. Um, I was just at my community garden this morning, and I was speaking to some of my garden plot neighbors that I was speaking to a farmer in Kansas. And everyone around me was just very interested, <laughs> and um, they had a lot of questions. So maybe we can start with some questions from them before we... Uh, well, maybe why don't you give people who don't know about you just a how do you describe yourself? I, I probably would best describe myself as an agroecologist farmer. Uh, we live just outside of the small town of Severy, uh, or an hour straight east of Wichita. We're in the southeast part of the state. It's on the eastern edge of the Flint Hills. So maybe I'll start with some of the questions from my uh, community plot farmers. Uh, the first one I got this morning from my uh, neighbor plot was, what can community local little plot farmers learn from professional farmers? Uh, well, if professional farmers are practicing regenerative agriculture, they can probably learn a lot. I guess it depends on what, you know, it's kind of a broad question, but, you know, they're there's a lot of farmers today, today at the upper end of the scale that are, that are uh, you know, completely focused on soil health. They own microscopes. You know, they're looking at what's going on in the soil. They're, you know, starting to switch away from commercial fertilizers and using compost teas and, and things like that. So uh, I, I, I think it's a lot that probably each can learn from the other. And then um, you're really focused on soil health. What um, one of the questions one of the farmers or the gardeners gave me was: Are you part of the no-till movement, or maybe what are your thoughts on tilling? Uh, I think tilling needs to be um, used very, very minimally. I, I'm I'm opposed to tillage or any kind of disruption, whether it's whether it's or chemical, either one. I, I just don't like disturbance. I don't think there's a place for it for the most part. Got it. Um, another question I got from someone who has a uh, PhD and works for the health department. Um, what do you think about hydroponic farming? That's quite popular here in Hawaii. Just curious if you have any thoughts. Uh, I'm not a big fan of it. I, you know, yeah. to me, plants grow in soil. That's where they get their minerals and nutrients naturally and, uh, if if soil is healthy, that's where you're going to grow the most nutrient-dense food is in the soil. What and what is your strategy for managing seeds, Gail? 
Uh, do you purchase seeds? Do you uh, dry and grow the, your own? Or how do you manage the just seeds in general? Uh, the, the farm we're on now, we, we do very little um, seeding as far as grain or, or forage crops. Most of the farm is perennial. Uh, we do have a small amount of acreage that we, we're transitioning to perennial, and so we're planting some cover crops on that. And at, at this farm, because of the scale and time and equipment, I'm purchasing the seed. I have grown my own in the past. When it comes to the garden and our personal food supply, we save some of our seed. We're, we're learning. We're not great at it yet, but we're in the process of getting better. Uh, when I was still farming at a larger scale and doing more row crop farming, we were switching to heirloom grains and open pollinated where we could save our own seed. I, I don't believe in the seed period. I, I don't think there's a place for it in agriculture or food production. Um, in Kansas, what motivated your switch from more modernized industrial farming to uh, restorative kind of farming? Uh, there was a series of events. Uh, you know, I, I, being a farm kid, I considered myself an environmentalist to begin with. Uh, we switched to no-till just because I absolutely hate soil erosion. Uh, and And then it got... As we got further into the movement, I realized I knew nothing about soil other than it was a median that was being used to hold up a plant to amend with commercial products. And that, that, that's pretty dangerous. And that's when I started on a learning, or, you know, started to educate myself on living soil, bi microbiology, soil biology, et cetera. And it's all at the same time I realized that uh, I was being lied to by big guy when we found out that glyphosate was an antibiotic. That that really changed a lot within our mindset and the way we wanted to wanted to grow grains and meat. How did your approach to eating change as you um, learned more about restorative farming? And it, it did a complete flip along the way. Um, you know, obviously conventional farmer, conventional food, and the more we learned about healthy soil, the more we found a direct parallel, a direct link between gut health and soil health. Um, the soil microbiome, the gut microbiome are almost identical. And so, you know, the, the two and two, the two just go hand in hand. So it was, uh, wasn't hard to convince ourselves to completely change our diets. Um, what are your thoughts on vegetarianism? I guess it depends. We, you know, I, I, I usually like to have that conversation with a vegetarian or vegan to see why they are. Uh, it seems the two most common answers I get, number one, it, it's usually about animal health, or not animal health, but animal wellness and animal abuse. And when, you know, obviously I can't argue with that when animals are being run through the conventional system. Uh, but, you know, we put animal wellness at the top of the list here. And so I, and also, we, you know, we need animals to heal the planet. And so there's, there's that perspective. Plus just from a human health perspective, you know, we need some meat in our diet. So I, I, you know, I, I usually have a pretty good argument for vegetarians. Plus I get another 
answer is, you know, when it comes to the well-being of animals, um, I, I don't know if they just don't understand, but all living creatures, whether they're plant or animal, have feelings, they have emotions, they have, you know, they're alive, living, breathing entity. So uh, just because you don't hear the plant scream doesn't mean it doesn't. So those are some of the things. I guess the other answer I get from, from a lot of vegetarians is they've chosen that simply because they can't find access to meat grown regeneratively, pasture-raised, things like that, or harvested humanely. Um, I was looking at your CSA box, and it looks so beautiful, some of the meats, and it, it seems like you put a lot of Thanks. energy into the sourcing. So I personally eat meat, and yeah. I try to eat as local as I can. Here in Hawaii, we have a lot of access deer, so um, that's all wild in Maui, and it's kind of a pest, so it's it's quite sustainable to eat that meat. Um what led you to start the farmer, uh, the Fuller Farmer Education Series? It was started simply at the cover crop slash soil health event. Uh, it was co-founded with a friend of mine, Dr. Jill Clapperton, who's a rhizopher ecologist. And uh, I, I was always interested in education. I, I was already doing some public speaking at, at conferences about my farming practices. So it just made sense for us to host one at the farm. And... But it took it took a huge turn in year one. Jill was adamant about a couple of things. Number one, that we source as much of the food for the meals locally as possible, which no one in the Midwest was doing at that time at any kind of conference scale. It was, you know, fast, cheap, and easy. Uh, the other thing that happened at that first field school was Jill did a presentation on food, and sadly. Uh, at the age of, uh, I think I was 49 at the time, or 48, and it's the first time I'd ever heard anyone talk about food at a farming conference. And that's, you know, partially where I realized that we were going down the wrong road. And so the the school really took a hard turn after that first year, and it, it became uh, a conference like none other. Uh, it's a it's a deep look into the carbon, water, mineral cycles, energy flow, uh, you know, and, and the parallels between soil and human health. Uh, and we've even gone further than that. The last couple of years, we've gotten into more of the spirituality of of being at one with the landscape and new economies and things like that and, you know, pushing regional systems as much as we can. Um, have you found that You've had secondary entrepreneurial efforts develop from those efforts? Uh, have new businesses started from it, some of these workshops and whatnot locally? No, not, I mean, not a lot personally for me, but I, I guess kind of. We, we've spun off a second education event uh, that's kind of, it's, it's a bit of like a peer group. Uh, and we, there's a group of us that get together. Uh, we've got our fourth meeting in the last year coming up here in a couple of weeks. And we spend a weekend, well, it's called Regenerate Me. And we, we spend the weekend regenerating ourselves. I mean, we're totally of the belief that we can't have regenerative farms without regenerative farmers. And so we're, we're working on, you know, mental health and spirituality and things like that. And, 
really trying to get ourselves at one with the landscape. So we've had some things spin off like that, but entrepreneur-wise, uh, not a lot. Uh, we are working on a series of workshops to to run across Kansas this winter. There would be 16 total events. And these workshops are going to be focused on just that, on on nu- nutrition and physical and mental and spiritual wellness and trying to, you know, help fix the broken farmers so that they can fix the broken landscape. What has been the response um, just from the general public to these kind of initiatives? Do they think you're kind of a hippie out there? Do they Are they excited? What's the kind of the response? Uh, a little bit of both here. Got it. I mean, the pe- uh, the, by and large, the people that attend the field schools are just blown away, uh, you know, well over 90%. We get just huge emotional responses, very positive responses. Uh, but at the same time, I you know, I, I know there's people out there that aren't ready to go that route yet. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure they've got things they call me that are probably worse than what you just said. Um, how have, I mean, maybe to get a little bit woo-woo, but how has some of your spirituality changed as you've gone on this path? Oh, it's just like I, you'd asked earlier about our diet, and about the time we started changing our diet, I started having a little bit of health problems. I was uh, overweight a little bit, not a lot, but heavier than I needed to be. My blood pressure was high. My cholesterol was high. And so we, and and also about the same time, we started understanding the dangers of the chemicals and the toxins that, you know, I've been using my whole life. And so we, I I changed my diet and, you know, almost instantly got my blood pressure and cholesterol back in check. And I lost 30 plus pounds. And we thought that that, alone was, was going to fix everything. I've got, you know, I've struggled with some depression and other things the last 10 or 10 to 12 years. And we blame some of that on the toxins and, you know, the chemicals. Also, there was a lot of stress and we just kind of had the mindset that once we cleaned up our diet and quit using the chemicals, you know, all those things would fix themselves. And we've kind of come to the realization in the last 18 to 24 months, that isn't the case that we have to address health. Well, we've been addressing health just like we've been addressing farms, very piecemeal. Uh, We've got to address health from the the physical, mental, and spiritual standpoint, and that's the only way we're going to fix it. So I've really started putting a focus on, you know, the wholeness of wellness for myself in the last 6 to 12 months. And I find myself much more attentive to my to my farm. Uh, it's changed the way I make decisions. I have more of a tendency to go out and listen to the farm before I make a management decision that could have lasting detrimental effect. I try to let the farm guide me, and I try to you know let it tell me what it needs or what it doesn't need. And uh, that that's extremely difficult for an old white guy, you know, well, for any guy in general, because you know the males are the 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 hunters and the gatherers and the conquerors, and that's how we've been bred for millennia. And you know we've we've overdone that a little bit. We've kind of got 
we've got to bring our female sides back and touch just a little bit and balance ourselves back out and, and, you know, use both sides more than we have been. How has um, your relationship to labor changed or developed over the years? I mean, how many workers do you have at the farm? Are they migrant labor, permanent labor? I'm just curious what the mark, markup of the people who actually farm is. Yeah, my my labor, the farm is, I am the owner, manager, labor, janitor, chief financial officer, marketer, I'm it. Are there any cultures that you look to who are doing farming in the best way that you think right now? Is it the Dutch, the Japanese, Uruguay? I'm just curious, who who are you looking to emulate? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I'm I'm not really versed in a lot of the cultures. Uh, you know, I, I love what Bandana is doing in India. And I, and I do follow some of that a little bit. I'm intrigued by the Korean natural farming. And I was I was heavily heavily influenced at the beginning of my transformation by Masanobu Fukuoka of Japan. Uh, he's one of my favorite leaders. Yes, the Do Nothing Farming. Yeah, he that's an incredible book. Yeah, yeah, the One Straw Revolution just it changed my life. But I yeah I read them all and I you know the first book I recommend to anybody is One Straw Revolution. I think it's a must read for anybody involved in agriculture even as a consumer i think they they need to read that book and understand connectedness with nature and things like that and i think you know the one place i'm weak and we're trying to improve is is to get more in touch with the indigenous ways of the of the plains here Uh, we want to try to reach out to the osage nation and and you know i want to start studying how they farmed and managed and how, you know, how, how they approach the land. Uh, I, I think there's a lot there I need to learn yet. Have you, um, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your relationship with the federal government or local government. How has that changed or expanded or are they supportive of your efforts or I'm just curious about that relationship. Uh, I, my relationship with the federal government is extremely poor. I really don't care. I don't trust them. I don't, and this isn't political. I don't trust the left or the right. I think Washington, they're all in bed together and they're all in bed with industry and it's, it's a mess. Uh, that said, I, yeah, you can say I have an extra grind because I took on the government when I lost my crop insurance in 2012. Uh, because of my cover crop practices, I won that case, but they they basically bankrupt me in the process. But I I went to Washington, and we did get a lot of things changed in a positive manner about crop insurance. But my trip to Washington, I I I just saw kind of what I told you about. You know, we met with offices of liberals and conservatives, and I just, I didn't like what I saw and I don't like, you know, back historically in my lifetime at the secretaries of ag on both sides of the aisle, the presidents on both sides of the aisle, the farm bills, they're, they're there to promote industry. They're there to pad the pockets of politicians and they're there to do that at the expense of the farmer. How have you guys uh, resisted some of that pressure at the local level? Is that through your workshops or 
how else do you guys kind of battle the industrial interests? Uh, well, I'm not sure I quite understand the question because we really don't have any issues with local governments per se. So I, maybe I misunderstood the question, though. Oh, no, I'm just curious. I mean, are, do you get any support from, like, University of Kansas? Are they re- interested in what you guys are doing or trying to develop, like, studies on... Uh, I mean, one of the things that I liked about the One Straw Revolution is that he was so tied in with the universities and he was always measuring, like, the rice yields <laughs> and really documenting. Yeah. I'm just curious if you if you do anything like that as well. Uh, the, the land universities, which in Kansas would be Kansas State University, they're they're mostly under the influence of industry that that's who pays for most of their research. So they don't always see eye to eye with me. I'm not saying that there there aren't good people at the land grant universities. There are, but by, by and large, they, they've got the industry message at heart. So I don't do with them. There's, there's some smaller universities that it's easier to do work with and they're, they're more interested you know, and in, in what we're doing and, and in trying to model things after us, having conversations with us that the, the large universities know. Um, have you seen yields go up, down? What have your yields been like since you've changed tactics? Uh, when I was still row crop farming, uh, once we started use, following the, the principles of regeneration, uh, our yield, it, it varied. Uh, at times we saw good yield increases. Sometimes we didn't. What we did see was though it was a decrease in input cost. And so our profitability was better. And, you know, I think today the farmers that are still row crop farming at large scale and have now been doing this for five to 10 years are really, I think they're getting to a point where you know they're they're more profitable they're more resilient against nature they're you know they're less reliant on government handouts and uh i just think it, it plus the you know the nutrient density of the product they're growing is much higher so it, and it's just a win-win across the board i think got it um what do you think the future of farming in the west is uh the future on this is grass and livestock. Or what do you mean? Become a Gra- desert. They they have to return to a perennial system. They have they have to let the grass grow or what you know. In in the case of Kansas, Kansas is a prairie. It needs to return to a prairie. You know, when you get west of the Rockies, they've got to return it to a perennial system um, with rotationally grazed and vegetable production. In California is probably over. That, that's going to have to move into more region. A lot's going to have to move east. They just simply don't have the water. Do you have issues with water management, or how do you address those? Uh, I I certainly don't have the issues that they have uh, just to the west of us in western Kansas, and from there on west of the Pacific. Uh, that said, right now we are in. Uh, D3 drought have been for several weeks. We're coming off an extremely dry summer, and you know I'm I'm very very fearful for next year at the moment. Has your relationship to climate change changed or developed over the years? 
Yeah, it changes changes fairly fairly constantly anymore. I I was uh, kind of an early believer in climate change. Uh, I actually had an author write a chapter in a book about me in 2013, I think it was. So you know, I've I've kind of been on board for a while, and I stupidly I kind of patted myself on the back and thought, you know, I'm really preparing myself and my farm by by admitting there was such a thing and and starting to try to work my farm to be more resilient. And I thought I needed to worry about, you know, warmer, drier, more droughts, more heat, and becoming more resilient that way. But what's, what's our biggest problem here is, isn't necessarily the, the warmer days and nights and the droughts, but it's the, just the craziness of it all, the, the wild temperature swings, the, you know, when it does rain, it pours. When it doesn't rain, it doesn't rain. We go weeks at a time now without rain, and then we'll get 10 to 15 inches in a month. And so, these, you know, these wild swings, and this spring we saw just day after day of, of increased wind to the point that we had a hard time pollinating our apple and our pear trees because they literally couldn't pollinate because of the nonstop wind. And so, you know, there's things that I'm learning all the time that, you know, I, I thought I was going to have some of this figured out, but uh, Mother Nature has the last say, and she's speaking pretty loud right now. Got it. Um, talking about climate change, do you guys, how do you guys network as uh, farmers? Do you use the internet or just locally? I'm just curious how you develop your educational skill sets. Uh, we use that meters. You know, internet's a powerful tool, and we have a couple chat groups that I, that I'm in, and we've got three other local farmers that we meet with once a month at each other's farm, and there's just multiple ways that we exchange information and learn and share ideas. Do you find um, that restorative farming is kind of is that sustainable at the global level, or are you just concerned about the local? No, I think it has to be done at a global level or our species is going to cease to exist. Do you, did you read anything about Sri Lanka and their kind of, I don't know if it's, I'm just curious what a farmer thinks about what happened in Sri Lanka in the last few years, if you're familiar with that. No, I, I just enough to be dangerous. So yeah, I probably won't comment on that. Got it. Just yeah, they they switched to they banned all the industrial fertilizers and pushed organic farming. But uh, to me, it just seems like the farmers yep. didn't have the skill sets to do that. Without you know, it takes a long time to transition. So I'm just yeah. I I seen that they had banned it. I did not. I didn't know how it turned out. But I, yeah, I would be fearful. You know, if the U.S. banned fertilizer tomorrow, which they may not ban it, they may just run out. That that's going to be too rapid of a change. Uh, we I think we need to take a little bit of time to get worked into this. And yeah, most farmers don't have the mindset or the skill set to uh, go cold turkey without it. And to be honest, I I doubt there's enough legume cover crop seed, you know, available at a minute's notice to to grow a bunch of nitrogen, you know. Uh, that that said, I think we need to be looking at reducing corn and soybean acres drastically. 
immediately. If you were, maybe this is the head of the Department of Agriculture, what would you recommend? Would you have like a 10-year plan or I'm just curious what you think the best strategy for, I guess, everything from food production to maximizing farmer health or general being? If I was Secretary of Agriculture, I would, well, I don't know. I probably wouldn't have fired pretty fast because it would clean out EPA, FDA, and USDA, step one. And uh, expose the, the lies that are going on. And then I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in favor of programs. They've just been a huge failure, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, we, we need to find a way then to educate the farmers on how to grow regeneratively. But at the same time, we've got to educate the consumers on why, you know, the cost of food needs to go up to support real food, not, you know, real food that is healing and medicinal and not the, you know, the crap they're eating today. What are some of the lies that that lower their health costs? Sorry. That you're familiar with that other people might not know. I'm just curious. Like glyphosate, for instance, I saw on your website that kind of opened your mind. Um, What about glyphosate particularly worries you or whatnot? Uh, the, the main thing I say is it's an antibiotic. This care of the crap out of you. I don't know what would. Got it. Yeah, I'm just one. Maybe you can ask answer me. Every time I go to Europe, um, I eat bread all day and milk and cheese, and somehow I still lose weight. And then I come back mm-hmm. to the states, and I try to eat as healthy as I can, and I still somehow gain weight. I'm just curious what a farmer's perspective on that is, but. Okay. Well, I know in the case of, of bread, a couple of things, you know, that the amino acid makeup of the hybrid wheat isn't the same as it was in the heirloom wheats. The nutrient density isn't as high as it was in the heirloom varieties. We've, we've traded health for yield is all we've done. And then when you, you take that kernel of wheat that's not as healthy to begin with and you remove all of the good stuff out of it and separate that out and then you make bread with what's left. That's not the way our grandparents made bread. So, you know, there's just, we've done so much in, not just in production to lower quality, but in, you know, in processing and things like that, we're, we're, we're bread isn't bread. It, it's a whole bunch of byproducts and lab-grown, lab-made stuff that they're trying to sell you as bread when it's not. Uh, you know, we cook our milk, which takes all of the all of the good stuff out of it. So basically, you're just drinking cooked white water. There's no value in it at all. And then they they add stuff to it to, you know, you add vitamin D. And how do we know our bodies able to recognize that form of vitamin D? You know, our our forefathers ate real food, and we've got to get back to that. Maybe you can, um, there's a lot of raw milk stickers all over Hawaii. Um, do you have any thoughts on the raw milk movement? Is that similar to what you're talking about? Uh, I, I'm not sure. It's just, I, you know, milk isn't meant to be cooked, isn't meant to be pasteurized. It, when you do that, you take out all of the, the nutrient value of it. So 
why why drink it? Yeah, it's just funny because sometimes uh, people are just so scared of listeria and um, they just can't imagine a world where you could draw milk from a cow and drink it. But yeah, uh, but I think you know if if you do the research on that, the issues that started all of that hysteria was wasn't the cow. It was that it was how the milk was being handled after it come out of the cow. You know, that's where the problem arose and for some reason the cow took the blame. Well, plus they can sell then medicine to the cow and equipment to pasteurize and production <laughs> lines and yep. a, a lot of other uh, secondary products. But yeah, the best milk I've ever had in my life was from the Jersey cow straight from the cow and it was mm-hmm. incredible. Mm-hmm. It was like a off yep. white bone, just incredible. Changed my thoughts on milk. Um, that's what's your daily routine like, Gail? I'm just curious. Oh, it's, it varies. It's, you know, it's seasonal and uh, it just just depends. But we have uh, on the farm here, we have 162 acres. We have cattle that are for beef. We don't have a dairy here. So we're grass finishing cattle. And we have the mamas are here. So our, our cows, our calves are all born and spend their entire life here. We also have some pigs that are, we are feral to finish there also. So we have mama pigs and then the babies are fed out. We have grass finished lamb with the cows and the pigs. The, the lambs are born here. We also do meat chickens and eggs. We bring the chicks in as day old. We're not growing our own chicks yet. And then we also have some ducks that we grow for meat for uh, seasonal for, for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And they're, they're born and raised here also. So there's always those that need managed. You know, they either need moved to fresh grass or the pigs and chickens. They get, they get fed some grain also besides grazing. So there's always feed to grind, fences to move, make sure, you know, everybody has water and mineral and all those things. And then, you know, after that, it, it just depends on the day, whether it's inside of the computer answering emails or, cutting wood for the fire or planting the garden or whatever, just very seasonal. And we, we've tried to become much, uh, we've tried to become a little better at being lazy, I guess would, would be one way to put it. I, we try to quit by dark and, and uh, I, I've kind of become a chicken in my old age. I rise and fall with the sun. So in the winter we try to rest and in the summer we work hard. Are there, um, I saw on their website that there was, I mean, you gather people from Mennonite or Amish type communities as well to modern farmers. I'm just curious, have you learned anything from uh, those type of farmers of the Mennonite or Amish or more traditional kind of lifestyles? Oh, yeah. I think, you know, I think everybody, there's no such thing as a perfect lifestyle or a perfect farmer, but everybody's got good and bad and I try to pick up the good that I can. You know, I, the thing I love about Mennonite and Amish is their some of their views of community and things like that, that a lot of us have gotten away from. So I, I yeah, I love the people we get here and I try to learn from all of them. I think that's one of the great things about our school is as fabulous as our speakers are, there's, there's more learned outside of the presentations and there are at the presentations just because there's such a diverse crowd at them. 
I think I know where you're going to say, but I'm just one of the people at the garden this morning asked, what do you think about, um, you know, the meat replacements like Beyond Meat or Impossible Beef or the lab-grown meats that they're trying to sell? For my thoughts on lab-grown meat? Yes. It's regard to all I have. I, I, there, I don't see any value to it at all that, you know, the, the plants they're using are grown in monoculture and um, the organic guac and, you know, legumes like peas and soybeans, they're destructive to soil for the most part. And, you know, most of that lab grown meat is made from products that you can't pronounce. It's not food. And I think, I think it's a real I think it's a very dangerous path that humanity is going down trying to grow food in the lab when we can do it outside and reverse climate change and grow real food that's nutrient-dense and healthy for us. Um, maybe, Gail, I know your time's short. I just was going to ask, um, how do people, how do you invite people from outside the community to engage with your community? We've not done any workshops yet for non-farmers, although, I mean, all of our workshops are open to everybody, and we do have some non-farmers come to them, which I think is really important, and it's something we want to expand on. Uh, yeah, we use the Airbnb and Hip Camp and Harvest Host as a way of attracting, you know, our, our urban cousins to come see the farm and and get educated a little bit about how we grow food. Uh, I think... You know, I, I would like to find the time to start hosting some workshops in urban settings that are geared more towards consumers than farmers to help, you know, build some of those bridges and draw some of those connections. Have there any uh, restaurants or chefs or culinary people kind of worked with you? Are they excited about what you're doing, for instance? Yeah, usually, you know, the mindset of shop local and supporting local farms and things. So, but they still really don't have the full understanding of why it's important. So we we're really big on bringing chefs to the farm and helping educate them about the soil and nutrient density. And at the same time, they, you know, they share with us and we've, you know, we've butchered animals here together and shared in the, you know, the greatness of that. And, and it's, it's been, we've had really good connections with the chef we work with. We work with chefs out of Kansas City and Wichita, and it's just, it's a joy to work with them. Um, and then one of my last questions is, how do you slaughter your animals? Do you have a slaughterhouse on site, or do you have to truck the animals somewhere? I'm just curious what the relationship is with uh, the final processing is. Yeah, we, most of the livestock is, um, we have two different small USDA inspected plants. They're, they're both mom and pop plants, not not the large ones. Uh, we have to be inspected for most of the stuff that we sell because the farmers markets and such demand that. We do a little bit on farm. That is some, certainly something we'd like to do down the road. We I think I think it's important. All of this stuff is harvested as low, as close to the farm as possible and that way you know take the last little bit of stress off of the animal plus 
you know, from a soil perspective, you know, all the waste product can be composted and returned back to the soil on the farm, and that's that's important too. Um, and then I heard that you you grow apples and you said pears. Do you make any ciders or any uh, preserved items with those or value added products as well? Uh, not a lot yet. We I did make uh, a large batch of apple cider vinegar, about a half a ton last year, because we supplement our cattle and sheep with ACV in the wintertime uh, when our when our forage is really low quality. So we've done a little bit. Uh, we'd like to do more, but we, we've been here on this farm with fruit for three years, and we've had almost no fruit production. We've, we've had one apple crop. Well, actually, we've got apple, peach, pear, and we of those, we've had one crop in three years out of each of those. The plums have mostly produced every year, but nothing heavy. Uh, again, you know, the, the wild climate food production, extremely difficult. I, I would love to be able to have enough to start doing some more things like that, but we just haven't had the production yet. Do you manage uh, beehives as well on site or not? Yes, we have uh, we have right now, I think five, five hives right now. And just like everything else, the climate is, between the climate and the chemicals, honey production is extremely difficult. Um, Gail, and then aside from one straw revolution, is there anything that you think someone who's new to thinking about food and agricultural should know? I mean, how can they start on their journey? What What's your recommendation for them? Well, I think another good book, there's a um, friend of mine, or two friends, Montgomery and Anne McClay, their book, Hidden Half of Nature. Uh, it really ties soil and human health together. That That's a great read for anybody. Uh, there's, there's just a lot of really good books out there right now, you know, about soil, human health, animals, all of it. There's the list is long. And then Gail, do you have children or not? Yes. I have a son and a daughter. Are you, how are you educating them or do you want them to work on the farm or are you, do they help you out as well? Uh, oh, they're both grown and uh, my daughter's married and they're, she is involved in agriculture and my son in Kansas City, he, he he may return someday. Don't know yet. Too soon to tell. Got it. And then what do you think the most important thing for the next generation of, I guess, passing the realm on or the, the baton on is? The next generation of farmers, farmers or, consumers? Yeah, both. both, I guess. I mean, they're connected. Yeah, I think it's uh, quit listening to the propaganda and start asking questions about your food and where it comes from. And take take your, I think for farmers, it's taking their lives back and taking their farms back, taking control back and and uh, getting on a journey of uh, fixing themselves. Great. Uh, Gail, um, is there anything else you wanted to add? I, I'm sorry for my rapid questions. There's just a thousand things I could ask you, but. It's all right. No, I don't know. I think I, I appreciate you reaching out and, and spreading the word. And we need, we need more conversations like this to happen. And, you know, I guess I would just ask everybody to, you know, start asking more questions about their food and their health. <laughs>